0: You may be back there, but on the inside, you're up here, you know? So maybe someday there'll be enough room. Praise the Lord. We might have to get a bigger place. Amen. We don't have the whole town yet. Right? There's a whole lot more in this town. So praise the Lord. We got great things ahead of us. You know, revival breaks out. You need places to put people. You need people that have enough sense and have been trained and have taken seriously the things that your pastors shared about who you are and what you're capable of doing and operating in the God kind of love to be able to help your pastors. Too many people are going to come and your pastors alone, even the staff, won't be able to help everybody, but you will. Amen? It doesn't, doesn't mean you've gone into the ministry full time. But we're all ministers of the gospel. Amen? Amen? I like the word minister. It means to be a dispenser. That's interesting. My wife grew up on a dairy farm. And you got to, you know, if you've never milked a cow, anybody milked a cow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is it this way or this way? It's this way. If you ever milked the cow, you got to squeeze the top and then let it fall right down so that you can dispense. Amen? You know, years ago, they have all different kinds of ways of, of giving you ketchup and mustard and relish. <coughs> and there was a company called Dispense All, and they had these big, you know, uh, containers where all the, the bladder of the ketchup was and the mustard. And it just had this little... Area down here in the bottom, almost like a a teat of a of a cow, you know. And you grabbed it and went like this, and come right out. If you got it that way, you could get somebody else's get somebody else's hot dog while they were waiting. And I think about that because the scripture Peter even said, if you're gonna if you're gonna speak, speak as of the oracles of God, if you're gonna minister, do it with the ability which God supplies. There is a supply in every one of us for us to dispense. Amen. No miracle ever happens without the Holy Ghost. Man, I'll tell you what, aren't you thankful that Jesus sent us the Holy Ghost? Amen. So, So I just wish Jesus were still here. Well, if the Holy Ghost wasn't here, Jesus was here, we wouldn't be able to get anything done. Jesus didn't do anything until he was endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. So you need all three in the Godhead. Jesus never created anything. The Holy Ghost never created anything. And God the Father never created a single thing. But you put all three of them together, they created all things. Amen. Amen. The Father is the CEO of the corporation, God Inc. Amen. Amen. Yes, He is. He comes up with the plan. He does. He's got the blueprint. Jesus is the operational manager. He takes that which comes from the Father, and He's got to say something and do something with that which comes from the Father. In other words, put it into motion. But it's the Holy Ghost who is what? He's on the, the production line. He's the one that takes care of making sure you got a product. Amen? Amen. And, if, and if Jesus doesn't do everything the Father says and does, then the Holy Spirit can't make something that's not of God. That's why He can't validate something that's not truth. He can only manifest truth. So now you wonder why Jesus only did what He saw His Father do, only said what His Father said. Why? Because the Father had the blueprints. Jesus was carrying out an assignment to say everything and do everything that was the will of God. I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Why did He always put the Father in there? Because the Father's the first person in the Godhead. And the Holy Ghost can't manifest what's not of the Father. I mean, you're talking about walking on the water because Jesus saw that the Father made him to walk. That means his confidence when he took his first step is that the Holy Ghost is there. The Holy Ghost is there. The Holy Ghost is there. The Ghost is there. How do you know that to be true? Because when Peter walked on the water, he got all the way to Jesus, and then he started looking around. And when he started looking around, the elevator started going down. <laughs> huh? And it went down so far that he cried out to Jesus. Jesus reached his hand out and said, why did you doubt? And what was his doubt? To consider something else. We're always on a balance scale, whether you like it or not. It happened in the Garden of Eden. It's called a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as there's good and evil, there's a balance scale. Which direction do you focus? Because whatever you focus on, you bring into the light. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. He didn't even qualify the all things. You can believe a negative all thing into possibility as much as you can a positive all thing into possibility. Folks, you got to realize being made in the image and likeness of God is in the God class. There's a lot of responsibility with that. I mean, if your family's hungry and you're staring at a buck 15 feet away, you got yourself a shotgun or a rifle in your hand, that shotgun or rifle is a very, very good thing. Your family's going to eat well for the next month. But if your four-year-old has it pointed at your two-year-old, that rifle is a very bad thing. See, wherever you point your heart, you're going to create a reality. How long do we hear Brother Hagin say, if you don't like where you're at today, go back to checking up on what you've been believing and what you've been speaking yesterday because you created that reality? People don't like that. I've had people say, oh, you name it and claim it, people. And I said, really? You don't like that? No, no, I don't think it's real. I said, okay, then I'll give you a little assignment. For the next 30 days, you say I'll be the next person in my family to get cancer. Well, I would never say that. I thought you didn't believe in what you say. Hmm. Amen. The problem we've had in society is society has gotten into the church. The idea of mixture has gotten into the church until things aren't absolute. God's absolute. He's a straight line. He's not going to bend to come to you. He already sent Jesus on your behalf. Now it's time for you to come to him. And all society has to do is bring conjecture, reasoning, compromise into our lives on a regular basis. We bring that into our relationship with God and nothing works. Amen. He is who he is, and he's not who he's not. And if he said what he said, he'll make sure to make it happen. But you got to get out on the water. Now, you got to understand something. In the kingdom of God, the percentages are never on our side. Now, ultimately, they will be someday when all things are consummated, praise the Lord in Christ. But as they are right now, they're not. There's always a remnant that God will have to use while the majority goes the other direction. You know, there's a few that find that narrow way, but there's a whole bunch of people that go the broad way to destruction. Or Peter was one of 12. Do your math. One of 12 is 8.3%. So 8.3% and the disciples represented the ministry. 8.3% of ministers will get out of the boat, which represents what man built where man feels comfortable. And they'll get out and walk on the water, even if they begin to sink a little bit. They'll dare the impossible, and they'll find the miraculous. But that also means that 97, what, no, Uh, 91.7% Will stay in the boat. And even after the one that gets out walks on the water, they still won't say, What about me? Come on, think about that. You know, there was a little bit of jostling with the disciples. I mean, you know, those two boys, you know, the mom comes and said, You know, can, which one can sit on your right hand and left hand? Jesus, is like, You don't even know what you're talking about, woman. Huh? And then remember about John, the Gospel of John. He talks about how Jesus was raised up and he and Peter ran to the gravesite but the one who writes to you outran Peter. Oh. Really? You just happened to throw that in, but you didn't throw in that you were baback too chicken to go in and you waited at the door until Peter lumbered into the room. Right? Left that part out, didn't you, John? So why didn't they get out too? Why didn't they get out too? Why didn't they also get out? I'm telling you, folks. Percentages are interesting in the Bible. The The preaching of the word. Only 25% of the 100% even get anything from the preaching of the word. And it comes in 30%, 60%, and 100%. 75% don't even get anything. I got a rock. You know? What'd you get for Christmas? I got a rock. I got a piece of coal. Interesting thought. So that's the reason why our ministry and ministry to people can't just be all about the word. Because you're only reaching 25%. 75% has to come by the Spirit. Amen. Come Come on. I figured that out years ago. The reason why most people don't go that direction is because to be a minister of the Spirit means you have to actually have a relationship. I mean, I was born a preacher. If you got me talking about Jesus, which I was free to give my testimony, words would come out of my mouth, and what I do, my expressions, it all was completely natural. No, I didn't learn how to do this like Brother Hagan did. I wasn't one of those that stood on the platform, well, praise the Lord, let's turn over to Mark chapter eleven twenty. Not that I didn't love him doing it, but I was never going to be a clone. I'm just who I am. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, whatever. Life's too short to care about that. So if you gave me material, I could preach it. It wouldn't take me five minutes to look over your material and say something worth listening to how come because I'm gifted that way but just because you say something doesn't mean it works huh the first three months in healing school everybody died for crying out loud it was a hospice home four people were healed we had no idea how they got healed You should have seen the first person I dragged out of a wheelchair. Oh, oh my gosh, I I almost get embarrassed even thinking about it. I'm all fired up because I'm a preacher. In other words, words are coming out of me. I can even sometimes step out of myself and watch myself preach and think, man, that was good. I wish I could write that down. People say a lot of times, say that again, have no idea what I said. And I'm preaching myself into a lather. Man, I'm just glory. i tell you what. Hey, amen, Jesus. And I'm looking at that guy that will say, you're coming out right now in Jesus' name. And I'm all fired up. And I walk back there, glory to God, grabbed his hand, come out in the name of Jesus. Bop, boom, he hits the floor. And he was a little bit bigger than I could put him back myself. And when he hit the floor, everybody went, ooh. So that told me, I'm on my own. No one's going to get in there with me. You're on your own, buddy. So I looked at one of the guys that was helping us. His name is Gary. I said, Gary, let's get him back in the chair. And so one, two, three. And we picked him up as far as we could. And when we went to put him in, his rear end hit the chair, and the chair went, and he went, Poof. oh, everybody went, Whoa. And then I noticed, oh, you got to be kidding. He didn't wear a belt. And his pants fell down. And it's 1030 in the morning and there's a full moon. <laughs> Some of the ladies even went, oh, and turned aside. And so I looked at Gary and I said, Gary, get him in the chair. And all of a sudden, this young man comes up and said, who are you? He said, I'm his son. I said, where the places have you been? Hold on to that chair. And we picked him up and shoved him in there, and he's in there like this. And now, man of faith and power, pretty much every bit of it left me. And I have to walk about this distance to the front and turn around and face the audience. And I lived in L.A. for about six months. That's lower Alabama, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and down there, they teach you how to shuck and jive. That means you say a lot, but it doesn't mean anything. So I'm walking saying, glory to God, praise the Lord. Jesus is wonderful. Look at what he's doing. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. Praise the Lord. I'm just saying something to say it because inside I'm going, oh, God. I didn't see it like this. I get to the front right before I turned. Slowly I turned, step by step. So that's that's old. That's old, okay. And as I started to turn, all of a sudden, that man in the chair goes, "Preacher!" And I'm just like, "Yes, sir." He said it was right. I said, "Sir." It was right. What you did was right. And then I kind of gave it away. I said, what what part of it was right? (laughs) Because it looks like pretty much every bit was wrong. And this is what he said. He goes, I've got field in my legs for the first time in my life. Now, I would say this now, but back then I didn't think of saying it, but I sure thought it. I thought, yeah, you can get up and walk around if you had a belt on. I say that now. Let me just tell you this. If you ever bring somebody in a wheelchair, make sure they got some britches on that are going to stay on, okay? In other words, a belt on. You can't believe the amount of people we've taken out of chairs, and we should have looked first, and then you took them out, and and it's like, oh, Jesus, go right back down. (laughs) Well, I want to walk. Not like that. There's a thousand people right now that are looking at you from the other side. (laughs) Got a few things left out on the table. Hey, man, somebody help me. Uh, Says, where does God fit in? And of course, this is a great question. It comes from uh, um, Judges chapter 6 with Gideon and how he was actually having an experience with Jesus. You know, the angel of the Lord is Jesus that came and spoke with him, but he completely missed it. Now, he eventually figured it out, but he completely missed it at first. Why? Because he was too busy fussing. Hmm. What's the possibility we get too busy with this life and we get caught up in the drama of it, and just like that, you lose your connection or the tangibility of the other world? And then at that time, you could say, well, don't look like anything's happening. Well, that's just what you don't see. Because if you'd open your eyes just a little bit more, you'd see there's all kinds of things going on. Come on, isn't that exactly what Elisha did with Gehazia? There's a whole army out there. Gehazia went out early in the morning. Why do you think he went out early in the morning? I'm not being crashed here, but folks, why did he go out early in the morning? To relieve himself. Are you, are you hearing me? And he went out thinking there's no one there, and he's relieving himself by a tree right there. And all of a sudden, he goes... And he might, might, you know, might not even finish, you know, and he ran back in to tell Elisha, oh, my God, there's a whole army out there. What are we going to do? And Elisha hadn't even gone out, and he says, do not fear. Those that are with us are greater than those that are with us. Well, wait a minute. There was only them in Gehazia. Where did the other people come in? See, that's what he was seeing. And then he said, Lord, open his eyes. I thought his his eyes were open. He did seek Ahab's army. But when he went back out and saw, he saw chariots and horses of fire. In other words, angels that surrounded them that were greater than the demons that were with Ahab's army. Man, when God's more real to you than the enemy, it literally does not matter how big or vast the enemy is. Now remember David. What did he practice? He practiced being out there with the sheep, yielding his soul to the words that came right out of heaven, and he penned them in what? In psalm, hymns, spiritual songs. David said things like, your word is sweeter than the honeycomb. I can't sleep at night for meditating upon your word. He wasn't talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He was talking about what came to him fresh by the Holy Ghost, and it messed him up. I mean, he wrote it down. It's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And he went over it and over again. He began to sing it. Now I can't go to sleep. Have you ever been like that with the Lord, where something's so wonderful, you just can't go to sleep? We'd be traveling with Brother Hagan, and all of a sudden, the power of God fall on the platform, and we're dancing all over the place. I remember the first time that that even happened to me. See, I'm Baptist. What do you mean? Well, I grew up Baptist, and now I'm coming to this Pentecostal school. Well, I didn't convert right away just because I didn't know anything. So I'm out on my first crusade and I haven't even graduated school yet. It's in April and it's in Washington, D.C. And Brother Hagen gets up and prophesies to the nation. It's like, oh, that was so awesome. So here we are singing and this is the first time for him to know me in the group. Now I did have a meeting with him and I stayed up all night long confessing everything that I thought I ever did. And when I didn't think I'd covered everything, I asked the Lord to forgive me for being born. I said, I think that'll cover it. Because <laughs> I'm going to meet the prophet. And I didn't exactly know what that was. i tell you what, I didn't know what that was at all. When I got in the group, I used to be strong. I used to, used to be. I used to work out. Praise the Lord, I'm going to have to get back to that. But anyhow, so they put me in charge over the prophet. And they said, don't drop the prophet. And I said to him, I thought this was a non-profit organization. And then they said, no, we're talking about Brother Hagan." I said, oh, is he a real one? And you say, what do you mean? Are you that dense? We didn't have those in the Baptist church. You had pastors, you had teachers, and you had evangelists and missionaries. You didn't have apostles, and you didn't have prophets. The only prophets in the Baptist church is what people gave. And it usually could be counted very quickly. So, everything about being with Brother Hagen was brand new. Here we are singing, and all of a sudden we started singing, Blood Bought the Church, the Redeemed. And that's when Ray Jean was in the group, and he's a going, and we were just singing, and we are in that army of the Lord we've been. And so we're just singing along. All of a sudden I hear Brother Hagin laughing. He was way over here and goes, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> and the whole time he's moving toward me. I'm on the end, the end. And he finally gets about two feet from me. And we are in the and my legs just went, huh? Oh, what just happened? My legs. And I couldn't stand upright. When I did, I'd fall down. Yeah, the army of the Lord. And he just laughed and laughed and laughed. And then all of a sudden, you heard him while he was laughing. He started moving away, and all of a sudden, I stood right up. And I thought, wow, that weird. that's weird. What, what, just, what just happened? I didn't know anything. It was the anointing, and he did that on purpose. <laughs> he was a rascal. <laughs> We'd be in the back room eating. All of a sudden, I'd get hit with a spitwad. I'm thinking, what in the world? So I just all, so real quickly look around. He had it in his mouth, and he put it down like this. Hold everyone at my table. Dad just hit me with a spit wad. We all got our straws. We all got spit wads and all at once. One, two, three. They're bouncing off his head. And I mean, the the pastors there are like, oh, my God, he's the prophet. We're like, it's fair game. So he moved away, and I stood back up, and we are in that army of the Lord. And we're just singing away, and all of a sudden I hear him again, "Uh." (laughs) and he starts moving closer and this time instead of two feet he went right next to me and the next thing I knew I came to under the piano behind some reeds that they used in front of the piano I'm under it don't really know how I got there but there was so much commotion going on that when I spread the reeds apart to look out, <laughs> Brother Hagin's going like this, doing this backward shuffle. Amen. Hey man, it was almost like a moon dance. Mom Hagin's doing her little pretty thing like this, and the whole place <laughs> is running and shouting and dancing. And I'm laughing so hard at what's happening that I'm starting to get a little, whoo, what's that feeling? Never had that feeling before. You say, didn't, didn't you... Ever get drunk when you were a kid? I was Baptist. They made you feel like you're going to go to hell if you ever take a drink. Huh? I'm telling you what. Us kids are playing in the creek in the middle of winter, and it was the perfect Miller Lite commercial with snow on the bank and a rushing little, you know, creek that's going over rocks. And right in the middle is a Miller Lite. And us kids looked at it and said, let's wait out there and get that. And so we went and got that. We chipped off the top of the bottle, you know. It didn't have kind of, you had to chip it off. I'm not going to take the first thing. You take the first thing. And they all took a hit on that, and they said, here, you got to do it. I took a sip, and I thought, dear God in heaven, (laughs) if people like this, they are messed up. This tastes just like it looks. <laughs> and there's no way I'm going to try to make myself like that. That was it. So I never had any experience. And the more I left, <laughs> the room's starting to spin a little bit. It's like, whoa. And then I thought to myself, I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm getting drunk. And the more I thought that, the harder I laughed. And all of a sudden, somebody come right between my shoulder blades, hit me so hard. I thought, what just happened? (laughs) And this big face, Ray Jean, came right next to my cheek, and he said, Jimmy, get out of the spirit. I thought, I'm 26 years old, and I finally got in. (laughs) What in the world would I want to get out for? And I said, why? He said, Dad's getting ready to do a ministry line, and you got to catch the people. And then all of a sudden, in that state of mind, I thought to myself, here I am next to somebody. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. And I thought, yeah, it's not good right now. It's not good. So I said to him, and I know this is the blonde hair speaking, but I said, "How, how do I get out? And this is what that rascal said to me. He said, go into the men's room, put water on your face, and do jumping jacks. I thought, that's got to be it. So I'm walking like a drunk man, you know, t- to, the, to the men's room, and I get there and I'm splashing water on my face. And here I am doing jumping jacks, and all these men are coming in there to, to do their thing, and they're looking at me, and they're going like this to get away from me, like, what is this guy doing? That's some of my first experience. It's kind of pathetic, but at the same time, it's fun looking back. So, wow. Yeah, overdid it, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, she's saying fast. Hurry up. Coffee? Is it the coffee? Shoot, it's coffee. (laughs) Well, it's too bad. You're in for it now. Amen. It gets bad if I have one. Amen. Amen. So, anyhow, this book is called, it's exactly what it's called. It's called Until I Come. The works I do, you shall do also. Now, there's some of you folks looking at me like, did I come to the right night? I understand that look. It'll get better, I promise. (laughs) This is about doing the works of Jesus. Uh, It's really the staple of our ministry. It just teaches you about having the mindset of Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so this actually is a, a little, wow, this is a little credit card right here looking thing and it's got all kinds of sermons on there and we've got a bunch of those that are still out there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that's enough. I'm going to sit down. Somebody else to do this. No. <sighs> wow. Talk myself right into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter five. Hmm. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I learned a lot just being in the ministry with Brother Hagan. I can't tell you how many times Aaron Aaron could say so, the same thing. There'd be times where the presence of God would fall on us in the group, and we'd dance all over the place. The power of God would hit the congregation. And we were just sure that it was going to be one of those wild nights. And he'd walk up to the podium. Now, Father, I thank you for the precious word of God. And we're all looking at each other. He's going to take it. Huh. And he'd take it. We'd go sit down. He'd just start up. Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 11, 23. And then there were other times that uh, he'd get up, turn around and say, you know, the anointing of God's on the group. Jimmy, why don't you go ahead and preach? Or Keith, why don't you go ahead and preach? Ray Jean, go ahead and exhort. And then all of a sudden it would turn into a wild night. He'd use us. And you learn a lot from that because if every time the Spirit got to moving meant that you just threw everything away and just went with it, then he would have done that. But he understood there were certain purposes for each meeting. And he was able to rein in, even though the anointing was strong, rein it in for the purpose of what his heart or the Holy Ghost was telling him to do. Praise the Lord. So a few seconds ago, and right now I can feel it, in a, in a matter of seconds, I could, be, I could be pretty well gone right here tonight. And about the only thing I'd be good of is have my wife come up here, hold me up, and lay hands on you. But the Lord wants to say some things, all right? So let's go over here to John chapter 5. And you know, Jesus was uh, found himself before those five porches at the Pool of Bethesda. And was led to go to that one individual. You know, people criticize me all the time with our advertisements for the healing center. You say, what healing center? Well, the Lord sent us to Colorado to start a healing center. Now, an audible voice came into my car. Not that that should be a big thing. The big thing about it is, Brother Hagin always said, if the Lord speaks to you in an audible voice, usually that means there's some interesting times ahead. You need something so audible so you can hold on to it. <laughs> so so don't, don't like wish for that. Just hear him right there in the heart, okay? But an audible voice came in my car and said, I want you to go to the Denver, Colorado area and start a work. Now, I told friends of mine, they said, well, you're going to be a pastor. I said, he didn't say start a church. He's an intelligent being. I'm an intelligent being. And if he wanted me to start a church, he'd tell me to start a church. He didn't say start a church. He said start a work. Now, a work is different than a church. A church is more localized. A work is more far-reaching. Well, it took us some time to figure out what it was we were going to do. And I fussed over that and came up with all kinds of ideas. And finally, God just used Aaron. And she looked at me one day and she said, why don't you just do what you're good at? And I thought, huh, never thought about that. I said, what I'm good at is prayer and healing. And then all of a sudden it became real. Wow, that's what we're supposed to do. So we've started a healing center called Healing by Design. And, you know, people criticize us all the time about scamming people, you know. Or they'll say things like, well, if he's anything, he'll go to the hospital and just clear it out. Well, we'll believe in you once you go to the VA. And grow out a leg. Well, I got scripture to say just do what God tells you to do. In time, we probably will. We've been in hospitals for a couple of years and saw all kinds of things happen. But we were welcomed into those hospitals. Now, Jesus has got five porches full of sick people, and He's the answer. Do you know when you're the answer, every problem looks a whole lot different? Like my good friend, Buzzy Sutherland, down there in El Dorado, Arkansas. He said, when I was in the ninth grade, they tried to teach me the algebra. I thought it was pretty funny the way he called it, the algebra, like it was some alien from another planet, the algebra. (laughs) He said, they tried to convince me that X's and Y's had numerical value. He said, I didn't quite understand all that, but on the final exam, it said X plus Y equals 49. Figure out what X and Y is. He said, I got so excited, I took my paper right up to the teacher, put it on the desk, and said, if I've got the 49, what do I care what X and Y is? (laughs) You know what I mean? If you've got the 49, I mean, it could be 50 minus 1, right? 47 plus 2. It doesn't matter what the problem is when you're the answer. Jesus walked around as an answer, and because he's living in you, you are now the answer. I like what the Message Bible said Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out. He said, now don't try to get all kinds of equipment to take with you. You are the equipment. Ooh. Woo! Gl- glory! Oh so Jesus is there at the Pool of Bethesda. There's five porches full, and he only goes to one. You want to know why? Look what happened when he said to that one man. Do you want to be made well? What's the first thing that man said is? Well, I don't have anybody to throw me into the pool when the water is stirred. Other people have individuals, servants, or friends, and they get them in before I can get in. Huh. That gives it away. What do you mean? Well, why didn't Jesus go to the others? Because they decided on their method of healing, and it wasn't Jesus. If you've got someone that will throw you into the pool, why don't you get them to take you a mile down the street where Jesus is having a meeting where everyone that touches his garment is made perfectly whole? Now you're not waiting on an angel to stir the water and hoping that you get in first. I mean, if you're the hundredth or the thousandth or the ten thousandth person to touch him, everyone that touched was made perfectly whole. You see, you just do what God tells you to do and let all the idiots say what they want to say. Now, someone may not like that, but God's working on me and helping me in this area because I want to text them all back. I want to write them all back and give them a piece of my mind, and my wife won't let me. And now I've got somebody else looking at all those comments, so that I don't see them. But I feel them. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. So he, he went to the pool of Bethesda, and he raised up that man. <laughs> shoot, I shouldn't have had that Starbucks. (laughs) It always happens. And I can't control it. (laughs) This is important. Now listen. And they questioned him about it. They didn't like what he said. And Jesus said, My father's always working and I'm always working, and now they got really ticked because not only did he do it on the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Have you ever prayed a a prayer, Father, we just thank you now for, huh, you call God your father? That would be tantamount to saying you believe you're equal with God. Do you know equal with and equal to are very different? Equal to means able to replace. Equal with means able to represent. For instance, a $10 bill and a $5 bill are not equal to each other. If you think they are, give five when you owe ten and let's see you get out of the store. You can't replace the $5 bill with the ten because they're different numerical values. But a $5 bill and a $10 bill are equal with each other because what they represent. And what do they represent? Currency. Jesus did not consider that it was robbery to be equal with God. hmm Do you know that statement's pretty amazing? Because if you really break that down, why, if God's over here and Jesus is here and the Holy Ghost is there, did Jesus all of a sudden someday in heaven go, you know, Father, I was just considering some things, and I'm considering that it's not wrong for me to be equal with you. Well, duh, you are. See, he wouldn't say it as God. He would say that as man. As a man, surrounded by everyone who gobbles like a turkey, Jesus never gobbled. He soared like an eagle. He could have conformed to every other man, but he didn't. He didn't consider it robbery as a man, that he was equal with God. These are mindsets that denominational teaching has been so afraid of because they think we're biting off more than we can chew. That we're taking something unto ourselves that we actually don't deserve. Listen, this is exactly how God thinks of you. You are His child. You are a God kind of being. Amen. Every single animal or bird or fish that God made, He always qualified it by saying, now reproduce After your own kind. And then God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. In other words, what God said is, we don't have one after our kind. So let's make a being that is a God kind of being. Well, brother, I don't know if I like that. Well, then just just live your little mere man life that you live. God's not making anybody think a particular way. You're free to have your own choice. Well, you're a little snippy tonight. It's the coffee. Come on, everybody, I'm having fun with you. Loosen up a little bit. There's some of you that haven't laughed yet, and I've been watching you. So Jesus defended himself and said, verse 19, I speak to you eternal truth. The son is unable to do anything from himself or through his own initiative. Now, does that mean Jesus couldn't? No. He could do anything he wanted to. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. Why? He submitted himself to the will of his father. I know we don't like submission because submission is actually when mm, it's not easy. Agreement is when it's easy. But when you submit your heart to God, for sure you'll have opportunity to look at yourself and say, I don't like this. I mean, look at Paul. Ten verses of Romans 6 to tell you exactly who you are. You died with him. You arose with him. You're in him. You're no longer. You're dead to this world. You're alive unto God. Sin has been vanquished. Praise the Lord. And then verse 11, he says, now consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, what in the world did you tell us now to consider this for? Reckon it to be. Consider it to be. That's because you're going to have opportunity where it doesn't look like it. But you're gonna go back to the foundation, and by faith, you're gonna say, This is who I am. And you consider it to be right while it looks like it's not. And if you'll press your little nose right in the devil's business and say, Prove me wrong, he'll run in terror. He'll run in terror. I think one of the greatest worship songs would be, You gotta know when to hold them. You gotta know. (laughs) Got to know when to fold them. Got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to walk away. <laughs> you say, "How come?" Because you're constantly presented with opportunity to fold, to hold, to walk away, and the devil's nothing but a liar. Isaiah saw him over in the other world, and he saw us looking at him, and we all gasped. Why? Because he was so big, and he was so mean, and he was so gnarly, and he looked just like all the pictures, a red devil with horns and a pitchfork and a tail that was pointy, and it just made us almost just want to creep and crawl because just looking at him. No! We were shocked! that he was such a mass of confusion, so thoroughly beaten in every area that there's nothing about him that could ever hurt a flea. And we looked at him and said, Is this what caused nations to tremble and brought men to their knees? That's what caused me to go home early with cancer? That's what divided my family and caused that divorce? That's what kept me poor and never getting a job? Come on, Come on. You got to know when to hold them. <laughs> <laughs> You do. We'd get into situations over in healing school, and when it didn't seem like it worked, we just went a little further. I'm laying hands on people. People are usually between five foot and six and a half. It's kind of here, here, or the most right here. And I'm laying hands on people, and all of a sudden, holy smokes, that one's going to be here. Big old broad shoulders, tiny waist, looked like he was a defensive end. And I went to lay my hands on him, and I heard a voice say, hit him as hard as you can in the chest. (laughs) And I wanted to say, you hit him as hard as you can in the (laughs) chest. (laughs) And all I could think of was, you know, this is how you guys do me. I'm sure right now, that somebody went through heaven and said, it's another Hockaday story. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And they're all in the banister looking over, say, what's he going to do? I just told him to hit him in the chest. He's going to die. <laughs> so I thought, I better tell him what I'm going to do. So I said, hey. And his voice is like, yeah, preacher. I'm like, I said, uh, I'm going to minister to you a little bit differently than everyone else. He said, okay, what are you going to do? I said, actually, I'm going to hit you in the chest as hard as I can. And he looks at me and goes, on one condition, preacher. And I I thought I I was in control. (laughs) Just that quickly, I lost control. I said, what's the condition? He said, if it doesn't work, I'm going to hit you back. And for a moment I said, Lord, can I catch him in the jaw just right knock him out? <laughs> and then just run to the next town and close down the meeting. Please, please. And so I said, okay, that's fine. I said, here it comes. And I went like this and I went boom and hit him as hard as I could. I thought I'd knock him off his feet, put him on his, on his can. It was like this. And he looked at me. I'm like, okay, I'm dead. I'm dead, and he's looking down at me like this. He didn't move. What are you gonna do? Because if you don't do something, he's gonna go boom, and you're not gonna be preaching really good anymore. Let's <laughs> let's everybody believe in healing, right? Don't laugh too hard. It's okay. Praise the Lord. It's actually my story, not yours. Amen. So anyhow. So I learned that you have have to press the envelope. So I got right up in his face, stood up on my tiptoes, and still was way shorter than him, and I stuck my finger right under his nose, and I said, I dare you to check and see what God did. Do it now. Tears started dropping off his face so fast. He grabbed his chest and began to cry. He said, Jesus, thank you. And then in like manner, I turned around and said, Jesus, thank you. (laughs) I'm alive. I'm alive. I get to preach another day. Thank you. Thank you. We're not even to the good part yet. Will you let me finish this? (laughs) It says, I speak to you eternal truth. The son is unable to do anything from himself or through his own initiative. I only do the works that I see my father doing, for the son does the same works as the father. And then in verse 20, because the Father loves the Son so much, He always reveals to Him, always reveals to Him, He always reveals to Him everything that He is about to do. And you will be amazed when He shows Him even greater works than these that you've seen so far. Now, here it is. God loves the son is the reason why he shows him. I know if I asked for a show of hands, I would get high in the 90 percentile of those who would say that that word love must be the God kind of love. Agape. But it's not. I said it's not. It's not Agape. No, it's not. It's phileo for Philadelphia. <laughs> Come on, I'm not, being, I'm not being funny there. Listen, that's the city of brotherly love. Yeah. Phileo is brotherly love. It's not casual love. It's a very intimate love, and it really comes down to we're best friends. Did you hear me? The reason why the Father showed Jesus everything is because they hung out together. Because they were so close as friends that he divulged to Jesus everything. And then Jesus knew he was even going to give him more stuff that would cause people to say, I'm just shaking my head, this is amazing. What are we saying, folks? It is Christianity. Christianity isn't the work of the law. Christianity is the enjoyment of the Holy Ghost. That's what's different to the New Testament from the Old Testament. John the Baptist was the Paul Revere of his time. Everywhere he went, he rode the horse. Probably didn't ride the horse. But he rode the horse saying, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? Repent means there's a change coming. It's like you can feel the autumn air move in and it removes the stifling hot air of summer and you can even smell it and it's refreshing you to think falls right around the corner. John was saying, there's a change coming. There's a change coming. And people said, what's the change? The kingdom of God is at hand. You know what that means? Everybody's going to be able to have a relationship with God everybody's going to be able to walk in and talk with him and and walk and talk and share their life with him. Everybody's going to be able to meet him. The change is coming. The next thing he said is, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he saw the one who would